with God, you know what? There's nothing that's overlooked. There's nothing that is unconsidered. And everything is intensely personal and purposeful. back to the No Greater Joy podcast. Here we are, episode 32, brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church in beautiful Westlake, Ohio. We want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that's to know greater joy. And we know greater joy by stepping into the areas of no greater joy, by being 24-7 worshipers, go people, and alongsiders. Pastor Steve Strong is who I am, lead pastor here at Grace, and I have with me two great guys across the table is Pastor Ryan Atkins, the associate pastor here at Grace. And Dan the Man Craniac, a member here at Grace, producing this podcast, making it awesome. There he is. He's waving, waving to waving everybody. Waving to the audience. That's right. All right, so we are continuing a little series here about theology proper or just the study and the understanding of who God is. We took a couple episodes of how does he exist, does he exist, and we get to start exploring uh, in this episode the question, well, what is God like? And really, we should, as God's people, love answering this question, what is he like? And so we're going to take this episode and the next one talking about his attributes. So Ryan, why don't you just kind of introduce a little bit how we like to traditionally, theologically categorize his attributes. Yeah, so he kind of determined and work to sort God's attributes into two main categories, one being incommunicable attributes, the other being communicable attributes. And so we'll talk about communicable in the next uh, episode, uh, Cliffhanger. But the uh, incommunicable attributes, man, I'm going to struggle to say that all day, incommunicable attributes, yep. it's a mouthful, um, are really those attributes of who God is and, and his being uh, that are his alone. And so he doesn't share them with his creation. He doesn't share them uh, with us as image bearers. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of the two main lists. And um, depending on which study you pick up, you'll have different attributes that kind of slide, a couple of them that sit kind of uh, both ways. Um, but we'll do our best to kind of keep the two buckets um, kind of in their own in their own lane. And so... Well, yeah, um, and I think it goes any when you start to describe any person, yes, like nobody can just be perfectly categorized in certain things. There's always absolutely. overlap, and God is a person, three persons, and there's personhood, and all of His qualities are His. And I think we'll get to the sense of that being mm-hmm. simple and unified. Like He can't be chopped up in pieces, and this is this, and this is this, and this. But to help us understand him yes and to to yeah. not just know about him but to really know him yeah. um is where understanding his attributes come in and the place we we really learn and can grow in that knowledge of him and and relationship with him is through the word and so um kind of our first stop today if you want to grab your bibles you can pause it we're gonna to go to psalm 139 unless you're driving unless you're driving don't grab your bibles uh, but just listen we'll read uh nicely for you uh, so if you grab your Bible, Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, and we see uh, in this psalm, uh, it's a psalm of David, uh, we see multiple of God's incommunicable attributes on display through David's writings. And so let me read, uh, starting in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so we see in David's psalm here, it's kind of uh, three big pieces to uh, God's, uh, you know, just uh, his incommunicable attributes. And those are kind of, um, I'll call them the three omnis. And so you have his omniscience in the beginning of the psalm, um, just his knowledge, his omnipresence, that he is everywhere, and his omnipotence, his strength. And so, Steve, if you could take us into the first of those, that's his omnipresence. Yeah, so these three omnis, um, I kind of like to categorize or describe them just as God's immensity. And so he's unlimited in these areas. And I think it's important before I start talking about omnipresence is like God, his, in his immensity, is unlimited. We as finite human beings are limited. And so um, it's very easy for us in our limited perspective, limited existence – to try to shape and understand God from that limitation. And so, but when we do that, it gives us a inadequate sense of who God is. And so when we're considering his immensity, are we going to fully understand what it means that God is all-powerful or even eternal? Like, we're not going to be able to just fully wrap our minds around and because we don't fully wrap our minds around it, we just can't do it, it doesn't mean that it's not true. Right. Nor should it mean that we reject it or not even try to consider it. It just means as God has revealed himself, as he has in Psalm 139, even though I can't fully grasp it, I'm still going to accept it as true and allow God's revelation of himself to shape my experience in as a limited person in the world rather than allowing my experiences to shape 
my understanding of who God is. So I, in, in the midst of my limitations, I'm going to trust. Mm-hmm. I'm going to faith forward in, in who God is. And the first one we have a hard time wrapping our mind around is this sense that God is omnipresent. And I like to define his omnipresence as just simply he is always present everywhere. Literally, he is everywhere present in his entire being. So he's not so big that he covers the whole world in the sense that, man, God is so big that his leg is in South America, his arm is in (laughs) Europe, and he's just so big that he covers everything. No, he is everywhere present in his total being. And so, you know, here in Ohio, we're not just experiencing a part of God because he's so big. Um, But I want to a few passages that just kind of illustrate this or really kind of provide the basis for it. Isaiah 40, verse 22, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He is the one who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. First Kings 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? No. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much uh, less this house that I have built. And then Acts chapter 17, and God who made the world and everything in it, Paul's talking to uh, the, in Athens, um, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in in the high, in the holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. We'll talk about that in a little bit. First John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then Psalm 139, where can we go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. In heaven you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Um, His omnipresence, and what's kind of interesting about these passages is there is a sense that he is dwelling Mm -hmm. with, but also a sense that where he is dwelling with us can't contain him. So there's a sense of his transcendence where he's just far above and beyond but also his imminence where he's very close. I mean, that's the what Solomon was recognizing. He built this magnificent temple, and the presence of God is going to consume it and dwell in it. But he's like, you're too big. Like, this cannot contain you. Um, he's unlimited. He's not limited by space. He's not found in space. And um, he's everywhere present. Tony Evans kind of wrote, I like how he put this, God in his omnipresence, he's too big to avoid, too close to ignore, and too caring to ignore us. And so this also is important. With the last episode, we talked about how does God exist? He's a spirit. Mm -hmm. And so that the fact that he is a spirit enables him or allows him to be everywhere present at all times. Mm -hmm. So that's his omnipresence. Another one is his omnipotence. Yep. So his omnipotence... Uh, we would define that as the fact that God is all-powerful. Uh, he is not limited in his ability um, and can do 
anything that is an act in consistence with his nature and with his attributes. And so um, some kind of foundational passages for that you have in Genesis 18, uh, you have God's promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah, even though they were uh, numerous in their years. Uh, you know, Moses records, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Uh, now, in the New Testament, you have in, in Luke 1, you have these announcements of the angels uh, of the virgin birth, and um, you have Luke recording that, that nothing will be impossible with God. Mark 10, uh, you have kind of Jesus looking at them as he's uh, brought up the, the point of the eye of the needle, you know, the camel in the eye of the needle, and uh, says to the those listening, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Uh, and Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard, is a very famous passage. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Um, and there's numerous other passages that really give us uh, foundation in this Psalm 89.11, Jeremiah 32.17, uh, Psalm 145. Uh, even in Psalm 115, 2 Timothy 2, all of those passages all um, you know, help us to see, like in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He acts in accordance with his attributes, with his nature, who he is. Um, and it's really important that um, it's not just that God can do all things, uh, but that God acts in accordance with himself, with his nature, and so whatever is contrary to his nature, he cannot do. Not because he is not able, but because it is contrary to his nature. Um, and so a classic example would be that God is unable to sin. And so... Yeah, uh, the things. Like, yes. He can't, he can't lie. Yes. Right? Or he can't um, be unjust. Mm-hmm. He can't not keep a promise that he's made. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and the fact that he can't, like, how in the world is that? That's not a weakness. Right, right. And so... No, he's just, he's, it's his perfection. Yes. That he is perfectly existing <clears throat> and acting in a way that, exi- that coexists or coincides with his existence. It's not in his nature. It's not, you know, or we do things sinfully and, you know, God cannot. And, yep, yep. And so, yeah, so when we think about his omnipotence, we need to kind of move away from, hey, God can do everything. Yeah. I think that's, I know what we're getting at, but it's probably a weak, kind of a lazy definition. Yeah. And so he can, he is unlimited in his ability to act in accordance to his, his character. So, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, a lot of people, or we hear a lot of those, well, can God make a square triangle or can God make a, build a rock <laughs> that he can't lift? Like, we were, that's absurd. That's yeah. illogical. Like to make a square triangle is impossible. It's so, illogical. It's and God's square. not going <laughs> to act. I know. He's not going <laughs> to act in illogical ways. And any person not acting in illogical, absurd ways, that's not a weakness to them. And so it's no. certainly not a limit in the sense of a weakness on the part of God or kind of a an argument against his his omnipotence. And I think with some of these questions, we can almost try to outsmart ourselves, <clears throat> where it's like, my my four-year-old son can tell you that a square is a square and a triangle is a triangle. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, there's yeah. a, don't, don't out, try to outsmart yourself. Yeah, and I, you know, this sense of his omnipotence is important and, and just in, in, incredibly relevant to us. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just the verses that you were reading, <clears throat> you know, especially Isaiah 40, he doesn't faint or grow weary. Yeah. God never gets exhausted. Yeah. He's not fading as we fade. That's right. And how, you know, we as human beings get exhausted regularly, <laughs> where it's like, yeah. oh, I just need to go to bed. And when I'm exhausted, uh, I'm not thinking. Like, God never experiences that. Yeah. You know, and the the past couple passages in here about him, nothing being too difficult for him, you know, with Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, the disciples, man, it's easier for a camel to go through that meal than a rich man to get, well, who can get saved? Well, yeah. good thing for your salvation that it's impossible for you. Good thing, well, you know what? There's nothing that's impossible for God. Yeah. <laughs> he can do this. Yeah. And so, like, he's he's never frustrated. Like, I don't know how many times we get involved in things, whether it's home repair or... <laughs> You know, working on our cars After or... After the seventh trip to the store. That, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's just not working the way it should, and we just get frustrated because of our limit. Yeah. Like, God <laughs> never has a frustrated moment. Like, oh, man, this is really what I want to accomplish, and I just can't do it. Like, that, that is absolutely foreign to who God is. <laughs> and it's... Um, no, that's just tremendously encouraging and hopeful for for us as God's people. This is who our God is like. This is what he's like. Yeah. You know, and it's it's amazing. So his omniscience, this would be the other one. So he's omnipresent, his omnipotence, his power, his ability, and his omniscience. And so uh, when you hear omniscience, you hear the word science in there. You see it written. But this is God is all-knowing. He's not limited in what he knows. And if we were to get super precise in a philosophical way, he knows only and all true propositions. And so uh, Psalm 145, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. It's infinite. So this is the limitless, um, immense quality about who God is, you know, and it's beyond measure. I like that. And they, I don't think they had tape measures, but like mm-hmm. to try to get a tape measure out is futile. Um, because it's beyond measure. Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Unsearchable, beyond finding out. First uh, John 3.20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He knows Every circumstance, he knows every event. Um, for Samuel chapter 23, David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. And then he asked, God's, asked God some hypotheticals. Uh, Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? And the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And David said, will the men surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then God said to his men, who were about 600, um, then David and his men, who were about 600, they arose, departed from Keilah, and they went whatever they uh, wherever they could go. 
And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. I think this is important because did the men of Keilah actually surrender him? No. Did Saul come down? No. But what is, you know, his questions are, will Saul come? Will the men of this city surrender me? And the Lord says, yes, they will. But David leaves, so they don't. So even events and circumstances and hypotheticals, God knows. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Isaiah 46, declaring, this is who God is, from his vantage point, his eternal vantage point, he declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Um, he knows future events. Acts chapter 2, this Jesus uh, and this is the disciples in the and during Pentecost, and they're preaching, and they're talking about Jesus. This Jesus, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed. This is the Jesus that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Like, the crucifixion of Jesus was a part of the definite plan. It was the foreknowledge of God, the foreordaining. He knew it. And then in Acts chapter 4, again, um, the disciples preaching, talking about you know Christ and what was happening to do whatever your hand, uh, talking about those religious leaders. What happened to Jesus was according to the predestined plan uh, that God had. And then again, another sense of hypotheticals. Here's Jesus talking. Uh, he was in certain cities that were rejecting him, and he began to denounce the cities uh, where most of his mighty works had been done because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done uh, in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The what ifs. You know, that Jesus knows every hypothetical. And if you think about it, how many hypotheticals are there? I don't even think we can wrap our mind around every hypothetical. Like, what if we chose to do the podcast yesterday, tomorrow, this afternoon? You know, what if Ryan decided to take a left-hand turn, a right-hand turn? What You know, there's just an endless amount of hypotheticals, and our God is unlimited in his knowledge and knows them all. He is not limited in what he knows. He knows all things past, present, future, hypothetical. And so with God, you know what? There's nothing that's overlooked. There's nothing that is unconsidered. And everything is intensely personal and purposeful. And um, how encouraging is that? Yeah. You know, how... The limit of knowledge, what that does to relationships, human relationships, Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't know that. Or, you know, he told me and I forgot. Like that just undercuts any kind of intimacy and closeness and togetherness. And there's none of that with God. You know, my I have forgetful moments every day. I forget how many forgetful moments I have. (laughs) Like God never has a forgetful moment. Mm -hmm. He's never distracted. He's never like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to do that. Oh, my goodness. 
I saw this on my calendar, and I totally – it was sitting over here. My phone's yeah. battery died, and I – like, never. That yeah. is as foreign to God as, as anything can be. So his his omniscience. Yeah, it's just crazy to think. Um, yeah, It's hard to – again, thinking about our finiteness, to wrap our minds around the hypothetical that he does. Like, we can't even hypothetically think about knowing all the hypotheticals. <laughs> Let alone, he does know all the hypothetical. Like, yep. I, I'm like sitting here just smiling, listening. Like, yeah, yep. wow, yep. wow, and, and, wow. And all the ways that things could be, they are as they are because, and we'll get to this when we start talking about his plan and his will. Um, but because he's all knowing, you know, the the vote that happened just here in Ohio, he knows. Yeah, he's not like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> All right, next one is his, uh, the fact that he is eternal. What does that mean, Ryan? Yeah, so God, God's, he is eternal. Um, he exists, Amen. exists outside of any sort of time or space boundary. Yep. Um, totally different from our existence. You know, we exist in time. We exist in space. Uh, not such with God. He is outside of any ta- time or space boundaries. And therefore, God knows all that happens within time. And because he is the Lord of time, he can act in time with his creatures. And so if you think Psalm 90, uh, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Second uh, Peter 3, uh, Peter writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Um, his eternality means that, he didn't have a beginning, nor will he have an end to his existence. He has always been and always is and always will be. Um, and so if you think Genesis 21 there, that when Abraham uh, plants the Tamarisk tree in, in Beersheba, and he called there the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Um, and that's, I, I think, one of my favorite names of God is just this idea of everlasting God. Never, There's never been a moment where he hasn't been there will never be a moment where he isn't uh, with the, in that moment or, uh, yeah, just working in those moments. Uh, Exodus 3, uh, when God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Uh, just showing that he, he uh, has always existed uh, through that name. Psalm 90, again, uh, in the first two verses, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So as far back as everlasting goes to as far forward as everlasting goes, he is God. And so there's an illustration, Steve, that you've, um, I can remember sitting in a class, it was just, I don't remember, it was a membership class. This is a few years back. Uh, I remember what room we were sitting in. Um, maybe ten or twelve of us, and you were talking about this illustration that you have on the on the page here. Can you explain the parade? Because <laughs> yeah. I, it was a moment for me. I was like, "Oh, yeah." So, the the fact that God is eternal is especially difficult for us to wrap our minds around because, like, we exist in moment by moment. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's nine sixteen. Here in a minute, it'll be 917, no longer to be 916, 916's in the path, 917's in the future. And so we have a sense to us of something's in the future and something's in the past. 
that gives us a sense of we all have three different ages. Like the question, how old is God, doesn't apply to him. He doesn't have age. He doesn't have a future. He doesn't have a past. And so the illustration of a parade is our our life is like a parade in the sense that the parade, we're there at street level experiencing the parade moment by moment, event by event. But then in a lot of these parades, though, go up to a vantage point where there is a blimp up in the sky and they have the, you know, the widescreen lens and you can actually see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade and the parade just is, you know, and the fact that God is eternal, he just is. There's not a, God does not bound to any one point in the parade. He is outside of a temporal existence. It doesn't mean that he can't come down and operate at a specific point in time, but when he operates in a specific point of time, he's not bound by that moment in time. So that's why, you know, one of the verses you read, you know, don't overlook this one fact, Peter says in Second Peter 3, 8, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. I don't know that I've experienced, well, I have probably a thousand days, but like, was that, three years? Do the math, carry the one. Like, <laughs> you know, three years, like what was I doing in three years? And, and how much have I forgotten in those three oh, years? Yeah. Three years that have happened, like it, all of that is as one day. He doesn't experience, anyway, so, yeah. So I think that's, uh, that's a super important because, Practically, he knows the future. Yeah, because he has he's eternal, beginning to end. He like it all is laid out before him, and so little us stuck at a certain moment yep. can reach up and find hope in our God who is eternal, who has said, "I have everything." Yeah. Okay, I'll trust. You know and. What that means is where I am in time and what's going on. He's got it. It's laid out. He's not late. He's not going to forget. He's not out of touch. Um, tremendously hopeful and comforting mm-hmm. sense of who God is. So. Yeah. And just that when we lack the perspective, he has that perspective. You know, like yes. Just that trust and faith that yep. Yep. what we don't understand, he does. All right, let's keep moving here. Um, He's also immutable in the sense that, and again, these are all his incommunicable, so they don't communicate back and forth. Like these are unique to who God is. We are limited in our presence and our knowledge and our ability and being bound by time. And quite frankly, every one of us change. Mm -hmm. I've changed uh, in my personality, I've changed in my perspective. I've changed in my abilities. There's things I can't do now that I could. There's things that I know now that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Like God is immutable in the sense that he does not change in his existence and his essence and his purpose and his attributes. Um, Psalm 102, verse 27, but you are the same and your years have no end. Malachi 3, 6, the Lord does not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then James, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Um, 
what a comforting thought that God is unlimited in his power, in his knowledge, in his presence. He has an eternal perspective, and that's not going to change. Yeah. Like, we experience, especially as we age, growing inability. Mm-hmm. Not so with God, except for Dan, of course. He's looking, he's like, what, man, I got I can do more now than I ever I'm, have. You know, we're s- five, six days removed. I'm still feeling physical activity from last weekend. <laughs> That's right. You know, like, like, like he doesn't uh, have, he doesn't God get doesn't, sore d- yeah, and it doesn't not, take longer for him to. He's not hurting. That's right. You <laughs> know, and so now one of the interesting things, and we try to, whether it's his presence, um, his ability, some of the questions that come up, especially as we're reading scripture, when it comes to his immutability, is we Sometimes we'll read, well, God changed his mind. He repented or he relented of something. Classic example is after the whole incident with Israel in the wilderness with the golden calf, Moses is up with God. He comes down. He's like, Moses, look what your people are doing. He goes down. He throws the the tablets down. He breaks them and he grinds up the golden calf, um, makes the people drink of the water, you know, all of that. Like, they have this, like, already they're being unfaithful. Mm -hmm. And God, with Moses, is saying, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And then Moses is like, no. And he appeals to God's promises. Mm -hmm. He appeals to his reputation by bringing them out of Egypt. And he says, you know, the nations around are going to see what you're doing and have a less view of you. And then we're told that God relents. Like he changed his, it, it, is that a sense of God changing? Well, I would suggest that he's not changing in his existence. He's not changing in his essence of who he is, how he exists. He's not changing in his purpose. He's not changing in his attributes. What he's doing is he's operating according to the means that he's already ordained. So for instance, Before I was a believer, before I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I was an object of God's wrath. Mm -hmm. He looked at me as an object of God's wrath. But when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, did he change the way he viewed me? Yes, Mm -hmm. because now I'm a child of God. So is that God changing? No. His purpose is still the same. His essence is still the same. His attributes are still the same. But he has ordained means. So as he has ordained, I'm going to show mercy and grace when there is intercession and Moses intercedes. Mm -hmm. When people repent, he withholds judgment like at Nineveh. Mm -hmm. And so he ordains and structures in senses of repentance uh, and faith and intercession. And so he's not changing in his character He's just choosing to do something different or to respond in a certain way because that is how he has the contingencies that he has put in place. Makes sense? Amen. I hope it makes sense. Yeah. So the fact that there is a change is not meaning that he's, well, he's not immutable. No, he is. Yeah. And then lastly, he is unified. He's he is unified. Simple. He is simple. Yep. There is this divine simplicity, as some would call it, um, and really, that's just getting at the fact that 
no one of these attributes nor any of the communicable attributes we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, they're not to be singled out. There's no one of these that is more important than the others. They all work perfectly together um, to show us and you know allow God to operate as He is consistent and um, you know there's as you have it kind of thought out. It's just He is both entirely just at all times and He's entirely loving. Um, he's not divided into parts. And so his community, his communicables and communicable attributes can't be divided into parts. Uh, I think right now in our culture, we see a lot of people trying to elevate one attribute over another to their own sinful benefit. Um, and that's not the case. He is, you know, perfectly just and, uh, and wrathful and gracious and merciful all simultaneously and in perfection with one another. And, this is something I don't think we can truly understand yeah. because you can't you can't know his uh, any one of these attributes fully because you'd have to know how it interacts fully with every other attribute, which if you think about it would ultimately make us God to understand that and comprehend it, and yeah. Yeah. we we're, and, we can't. Yeah, and we shouldn't look at the Old Testament and say, "Oh, the Old Testament, God is a God of wrath," and the New Testament, He's a God of grace, yeah. like that. That's a wrong designation and viewing who God is, you know, and and as we take these certain qualities, yes, we're taking time to talk about individual qualities of describing and defining what and who God is like, but as you were saying, he's not a recipe, so to say, where we're yeah. throwing in all these things and mixing it together and, oh, look what we have. Here's like, God. <laughs> there's not all these parts. Yeah, that's right. And so his... Knowledge is an omnipotent knowledge. His presence is an all-knowing, omnipotent presence. He is eternal. And especially when we start talking about his communicable attributes, you know, he's never at odds in his justice and his love. Mm -hmm. Like, his justice is always a loving justice, and his love is always a just love. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's not as if there's some internal conflict in God. Yeah. Like, my justice wants me to do this, but my love wants me to do this. Like, there's a cohesive simplicity to who, to who God is. Mm -hmm. So, how should we, how should we respond to this? You know, what should be our response when we start thinking about these incommunicable attributes? Like, this is who our God is. Um, the first and most natural is in my in my mind is awe and wonder. You know, you think about Psalm 139, you know, wonderful are your works, I praise you, how precious to me are your thoughts, oh God, how vast the sum of them. Um, th there should be a daily sense of awe, mm -hmm. a daily sense of wonder, of, uh, and really, uh, of praise. Yeah, that's... You nailed the three I wrote down right on the head. Yeah. It was all wonder worship. Yeah. I think, and then I guess one more, and we'll wrap this one up here. Not only a, res a response of awe and wonder, but also of faith mm -hmm. and of trust and active confidence. Psalm 46, faith in the sense of be still. Mm -hmm. Be still. You know, I was listening to seminar 
talking about it was kind of a rabbit trail that he was on in our sense of the anxiety and the worry that we have and fear. And he described that as, you know, when we worry, we're carrying a burden that we were never made to carry. God can carry it because he's unlimited in all these qualities. You know, we worry about the future. We worry about how many different things. We worry about the trajectory of our culture. We worry about the future of our kids. We worry about our finances. We worry about our security. Like, those are burdens that we were not made to carry and we're limited. And so be still. Mm-hmm. We have a God who is unlimited in all of these areas. Be still, be active in confidence. And even as Psalm 139 finished, hate sin. Yeah. You know, hate everything that is opposed to God. Yeah. So it, it makes me think great is thy faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because we're going to sing it this week, but you just, next time you sing that hymn, be thinking, what is this hymn saying about God? Because it's, it's all of what we've just talked about. Yep. And so don't go a day without reminding yourself and dwelling on these uh, immense qualities and characteristics of who our God is. All right? Episode 32, let's call it a wrap, all right? So until the next episode, God bless.